know. Um, and, you know, with football comes fantasy football. And I noticed something I didn't see coming. I've been playing fantasy football since I was, like, in middle school. Um, but I've noticed recently that a lot of the ladies have been playing fantasy football. Um, you know, I, and I'm in a league right now with some ladies. I'm 0-4. <laughs> I've had some pretty brutal losses recently, but, you know, it's like I'm, I'm talking to the ladies about D. Metcalf, C. McCaffrey, J. Taylor, and I'm like, okay, I vibe with this. Um, but I think this was a response to something that happened, um, something that happened while I was in college a few years back. Uh, I noticed that a ton of, my, ton of my bros started watching The Bachelor. Like, kind of like, okay, we do your thing, you'll do our thing. Um, I never really watched The Bachelor. I mean, like, I just can't handle what's happening there. But it seems like there's a ton of these love dating shows now. You got Love Island, Love is Blind, um, and the, the Bachelor's counterpart, The Bachelorette. Uh, but there's one that I find very comical that had a short stint but is now coming back. Um, Joe Millionaire. See, if I, oh, talking about money. The Millionaire. Joe Millionaire up there. Um, show has two men that date, I guess, like 20 women that's like similar to The Bachelor. Um, and they, the women don't know which one's a millionaire and which one's not. Uh, and, the tr and yeah, so the question that's asked is, is the relationship genuine? Like, how much does money matter? Will she love him regardless um, of his wealth status? Well, uh, both guys end up landing a girl, and the one who found out he was, or she, she, who found out that he was just a Joe, I guess ended up just staying with him. Um, but, however, to this day, neither of the two are together. Uh, the two relationships are together. So, I guess if there's one takeaway, just don't try to find a spouse on TV. Um, but the idea of the show is fascinating because, of course, you know you shouldn't just marry someone because they're rich, but. That's what money can do sometimes. It can alter your perception on stuff that's crazy. If you're in front of a person, you're deciding whether to move forward uh, based on whether they have a lot of money or not, I mean, you might have some kind of problem there. Um, tonight, I'm not going to be talking about relationships, uh, but I will be talking about money. Um, I don't think many of us in here would have an issue, uh, a huge issue like this, but I wouldn't be surprised if the allure of wealth affects us more than we think. And I want to talk tonight about wealth because, make no mistake, we live in a culture that's just saturated with wealth. And a lot of us in here tonight may not feel wealthy. Um, a lot of us come in here with very different situations with money. Some may be in a spot where you, you don't have enough money in, in your account. You're constantly worried about whether you think you have enough. Some may come in here tonight with a fat account, and all you're thinking about is what is the next thing that you can buy. And so there's many situations that we can... Uh, that we can come in here tonight with, uh, and yet there's so many situations where money can just be the dominating thing in your life. It can bring worries, anxiety. Uh, maybe you've seen people handle money wrong um, sometime in your life. Uh, and maybe me bringing up this topic to you um, causes worry or maybe just annoyance. Like here we are again, the guy up on stage at church guilting me into giving my money away again. Um, but I don't believe that God cares that much about taking your money away from you. What God cares about so much more is where your heart is. And tonight I want to break this down through two men 
who had uh, two different responses to the most important thing that they came across in their life. This first story is the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Uh, please flip to that in your Bible if you have one with you. If you have never read the Bible, um, I just want to let you know that the Bible is the most important book that you can own. Um, we at the block believe it is God's word, that God gave this to us. Um, and if you don't have one, we would love to hook you guys up with one in the back table near the entrance. So we'll flip to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this is the picture of what we see. Jesus is about to go on a, a long journey. He's got some disciples who follow him around wherever he goes. Uh, I myself am going on a long journey across the world here in a couple days. Um, so I'm kind of in the same mode that Jesus is in right now. And so yeah, Jesus, he's about to go on this journey. He's putting together his, his travel-sized toothpaste, his neck, his neck pillow, you know, all these things, gathering his stuff together, about to go on a journey to leave. It doesn't say where, but again, his disciples follow him wherever he goes. Now I'm going to give a little detail on this guy um, that he's described in Matthew 19, uh, which tells the same story. Um, and it says that he is rich and young. And that is a deadly combo right there. Like, does it get any better than that, you know? Some of us in here may be rich. And I, I know all y'all are young. Um, he probably heard about Jesus and knew that he's done some good teaching. And uh, a rich guy has a lot of things that can just grab his attention. And yet Jesus has enough of his attention to where he goes out and tracks the man down. And so this man runs up to him before Jesus is setting on this journey. He knows, okay, this guy's got some good teaching about heaven. So he gets off the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And let's see what Jesus responds with. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus answers his question with a question. Why do you call me good? He tells him only God is good. And this word uh, good in the Greek means perfect. And what Jesus is saying is only God is perfect. I'm not just a teacher that's just going to answer your question. He's straight, saying straight up, I am God. And here's a, a crazy part. Jesus says, you know the commandments. And Jesus already knows everything about this guy. Jesus knows his backstory. He knows about the wealth. He knows about what this man has heard about Jesus. That same principle goes to everyone here tonight. Jesus knows what you're walking in here with, your doubts, the things you've heard about Jesus. He knows how much money you have and how much you really love him. So Jesus kind of humors him and says, okay, I know you know the commandments, and then repeats it to him. So what's the rich man going to respond with? He said to him, and he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then he thinks, hey, I'm a pretty good guy. I've kept those things. So I'm in the clear, right? Like he's thinking, look, I'm in a good spot in life. I can just follow these things, uh, get my ticket to heaven. Like I can pretty much just get anything else I want. And then Jesus, who, like I said, knows everything about him, whether he's actually followed all those things or not. And because he loves him, he says, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. 
But the man didn't do it. He walks away. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The man likely just wanted a quick answer. Like, what's the simple thing I got to do to get into heaven? But Jesus went so much further than that. He said, you got to let go of everything and all your affections for wealth. And you have to live life on my terms now. And he said, look, I'm going on this journey. Follow me and live the life that I have for you. But the problem that I, like, I find and I see is that in America, we've built this idea that, no, I can, I can make it the way I want. I can go to church. I can be a good person. That seems reasonable. I can like Jesus, and Jesus can have this sliver or even a good-sized slice in my life. But that is exactly what the rich ruler thought. We see that Jesus was worth his time to sort of find and check out, but Jesus wasn't worth leaving everything for him. He liked Jesus, but he didn't love Jesus. And there's a difference between the two. And Jesus says, no, I have to have all of you. I need to have your heart. And the only way I can get that is if you let go of your stuff because it's going to distract you from me. He also doesn't just say, come with me and leave your stuff behind. He even makes him sell it because Jesus knows that the life ahead is challenging. And if you still have your stuff back at home, uh, we go on this journey, things are going to get tough, and you're just going to go right back to it, and you're going to leave me. So he walks away, which is crazy. I mean, G- this guy was in front of Jesus, God in the flesh, who created this whole world. And he, he had a, gave him a personal invitation to follow him, but he walks away. That's how badly his stuff blinded him, because the sole reason w- was it says right here, he had great possessions. He traded the initial thing that he was asked about, which was eternal life, for the temporary possessions of this world. Jesus has some people with him, and he knows probably what they're thinking, and, and so he addresses the elephant of the room of what just happened. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And that's why I said earlier that, like, wealth is dangerous. I mean, we see an example of a guy who, like Jesus, sought him out and was disappointed by what he had to say and ultimately turned away. So that's the rich man. The second man we'll talk, to, uh, talk about tonight had a different response. Let's flip to Matthew 13. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. I'm sorry, this is in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now this is a parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. We just went through a series on parables, um, but if you're new here, uh, what a parable is, is, is a tactic that Jesus used to teach uh, some broad, big concept and break it down into the things that we would understand ourselves. Um, he, and so in this parable, uh, heaven is like a treasure. And this guy who is, uh, that the man, is described as man, he wasn't looking for it. He just found it. A man goes and he sells everything, all that he has, and puts it into that field because of what he found. He found what was most precious to him, And it was worth more than everything he had. Like the concept of making an investment is you putting your money into something 
um, that you think contains more value than what you're paying for. And if you're going to go all in on something, you do it because you know it's a lock. Like it's a guarantee. And that was what this guy's response was. and Because he saw that the kingdom of heaven and all that it offers, the chance to be with God and experience not just life in heaven, but abundant life right here on earth, it's something that was just sitting right in front of him. And it's something that's sitting in front of us tonight. Um, you may have not have planned to come to the block uh, tonight or something like that, but you may have just stumbled right upon this. And this man found it, and his, re- his reaction is immediately, he didn't delay, he goes and sells everything to buy the land, and it was all in his joy. And so let's play a quick game real quick. I'll throw out a scenario for you guys. Say, okay, I'm going to give you $10 million every day for the rest of your life. Yeah, right. And you start thinking all the things that you could do with that, like I could get a yacht, could buy a house in Mission Hills, I could buy the Royals and turn them around. I mean, I think that's what I would do. Uh, So $10 million every day for the rest of your life, which is like more money than you could even spend. Would you take that or would you rather have an eternity with God? And no one has an opportunity for $10 million every day. We have much less to let go of. At least I would, I would, I've never witnessed anyone who has that opportunity. And be honest when you answer that question in your heart because Jesus knows what that answer is for you. I mean, if that is tough for you to answer, then he may not have your heart. And the cool part in this story is that, in this story of the parable, is that we don't know how much money this guy has to begin with. We don't know if he had 10 bucks We don't know if he had a million dollars. But the one thing that is clear is that we knew where his heart is. And his heart led him to give away all of that to get that treasure. And the crazy thing is he gave up everything for that field, and he felt like he was the one that won. And I can't think of a guy or a person who embodies his mentality better um, than a guy named C.T. Studd. He was a man who grew up in England. That's his picture up there. He grew up in England in the 1800s into a wealthy family. He was a cricket player, and at that time in England, in the 1800s, cricket was popular like football or basketball would be here in America. And he was a young star in the cricket world and a household name in England. But he came to faith as a young adult in college. He continued to play, but said that he slid in his faith for many years following his initial faith. Eventually, he came to the conclusion um, that the, the wealth and the, flame, the fame that life brought wasn't worth what Jesus had to offer. He made an incredible decision to give away all his money and future inheritance uh, and retired early from cricket, even at the peak of his career, and would leave to go to China to share Jesus with the Chinese people. So yeah, there's CT stood up there. He looks like, he looks pretty wealthy. Looks like he's about to go to prom. And then he ends up being one of these guys. And he goes to China, and we see that C.T. wanted what the, uh, the treasure that Jesus describes in the parable, that he will have treasure in heaven. And I think we can safely say by what he let go of, uh, we knew where his heart lies. And I said earlier that God doesn't care about your money. God didn't care about C.T. Studd's money. But after C.T. sold all he had, his heart was no longer divided anymore. It was fully God's. The reality is, is that God is not short on cash. I mean, he created this whole world and all that is in it. And that means he created every single dollar that is in every one of our accounts. 
The idea that God uh, is short on money and would need me to give him money is kind of laughable, honestly. It's not like the man in this story, in the parable, needed to sell all of his stuff out of an obligation to earn the treasure. He did this because nothing else mattered after he received what was most precious to him. And what he found and you yourself can receive tonight is the simple message that, that we are sinners that are separated from God. Because we have all sinned, we have done things that God has not wanted us to do, we deserve punishment at the end of our lives. But God saw the situation that we put ourselves in and offers his one and only son who lived a sinless life and he took on the punishment that we deserved at the end of our lives. And God's in a, so that we could have an eternity with God. And so you can receive that message by believing the words um, that Jesus says, by now following him and not your own ways. By turning from the sin that he died for and trusting his words. And the crux of that message is Christ. Because if Christ doesn't live a sinless life and die for our sins, Christ, then, then there's no treasure in heaven. Christ is the treasure in this, in this story. And his reaction to that treasure was worth more than everything he had. And guys, like for myself, like I like just don't want anything to be in the way between the relationship that I have with Christ, guys. Because nothing else is worth more than that. And I don't want my heart to be, to be divided. And I just want to explain this message to you guys all tonight because I want the same thing for you guys. In both stories, this, the men had the opportunity to have Christ. They were both left with a decision. Um, one turned away from Christ and one went all in. One was sorrowful as he departed, and one was joyous to receive the treasure. We can see clearly um, that, the, that one's heart was tied to money and wealth, and the other's was tied to Christ. Jesus is so concerned about money and wealth that it is one of the subjects he addresses the most. It's not just, not just Jesus, but this topic of wealth is scattered through Proverbs, Old Testament writings, Paul's writings. God continually wants to address this, because he knows that it's something that can so easily blind us. So then my question to you all tonight is, does your heart fully lie with Christ? So here are a couple questions that I'll ask that can, you can kind of gauge for yourself on where your heart lies. Do I feel the need to maintain an, maintain an image that keeps up with others? Am I constantly longing for more stuff? Do I always look to a new thing in my life to get that dopamine hit, or am I content with what I have? Do I pause before making purchases to evaluate if it's wise to do so in God's, in God's eyes? Like, do I just spend money on whatever I feel like, or am I obeying God with what I do with the money that he's given me? Do I check my bank investment account for no reason at all? This is something that I'm constantly longing for. Am I okay with losing all of my wealth? And I'll explain this more in depth, but are you content with just Christ or is it Christ plus X number of dollars? Do I fully depend on God to provide or do I rely on my own abilities to provide for myself? Do I feel like I can do it all on my own and that I don't need God to provide for me? So like, okay, I ask those questions, maybe you got some things running in your head, what does it look like? Do I sell everything I have? I mean, so we're going to make a line right up here, and everyone's just going to set their debit card and maybe write your PIN number. I'm just kidding. Oh, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, 
But what does this look like? I mean, the reality of selling everything you have is not a rule. And Jesus doesn't ask everybody to do that. But he does say that you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. And as we saw, he has to have your heart above all. But there are a handful of takeaways that we can draw from these stories. Number one, money isn't a measure of your worth. I think what the man who sold everything beautifully displayed is that his worth isn't tied to his net worth. And his identity wasn't tied to his money. I mean, it almost looked easy for him to let go of everything. I don't know whether it was, but he immediately sold all that he had. And this is an issue that goes deep. Like, do I, do I feel like I need money so that I can maintain an image uh, of, like, driving a nice car or, like, wearing nice clothes? Um, like, is Christ everything that I need? Um, it's so easy to want these things because of the image it shows off to other people. And it's a place I won't say that I've never been in myself. And it's certainly not bad to drive a nice car or have nice clothes. But there's danger in not being able to let go of this, should that ever happen to you. The worth that you have um, is so much more than the glory of this world combined. Every single person has that in here, which is why Jesus was willing to die on the cross for you. And if you have Christ, that is your new identity, an identity that will never fall short. Next one is money isn't security. Jesus told the rich man to sell everything and follow him. Now, Jesus was saying this in love, and it would be pretty cruel of Jesus if he were to have him come on this journey, and then he would starve or die of thirst or something like that. So we know that we trust that Jesus is going to provide for us, because if he, uh, I'm sorry, Going back to that question I asked, if you were to literally lose everything, do you believe that Jesus would provide what you need? Jesus says he will in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our tendency as Americans is to be financially independent, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. It's good to be financially independent from our institutions here. But the reality is that we're all financially dependent on God. It's tough for us to really feel like we need God if we're really rich. Like, I'm secure here. I don't need a higher power. In our time alive, we've never experienced, like, a financial collapse of the system. I mean, the dollar has been, like, fairly stable for our lives, although it's been getting a little wild recently. And it's easy to forget the one that we're dependent on for everything. We think that the money we've accumulated is, like, set. But the reality is, is, like, we could wake up tomorrow and everything collapse. I'm not saying that's going like, to likely to happen, but we just don't know. I mean, not even 100 years ago, this happened during the Great, De- Great Depression. People woke up uh, to their, the next day and their bank accounts and life savings were completely vanished. You know, I know we got FDIC and all that jazz now, but I would be careful to put our faith in, in our human-driven institutions rather than the creator of everything. If we zoom out and think about the history of the world, we'll see many examples of this. Like the denarii currency that was used during Jesus' time is not used today. So if you were storing up a ton of denarii, you'd be sadly disappointed, you know? And so do you track with me when I say that our wealth does not last? Our real security comes from Christ, who provides us with what we need. I mean, if you're somebody in here tonight and you're worried if you're going to have enough money to pay rent next week, then there's just no need for panic. Just know that God can take care of you. In fact, me saying that, Jesus, or that God provides us with what we need is honestly kind of an undersell. 
I mean, God is overjoyed to provide us with everything we need. He wants us to rely on him to provide. It's a reflection of who he is. He created us, and he knows what we need, and he is able and will provide it. Now, that doesn't mean that we will always get what we want. I mean, I definitely don't always get what I want. And it stings for me to say that, and I wish I could say that I got everything that I ever wanted, but that's not what God promises. He promises to provide us with what we need for us to glorify him. And then my next point is money isn't bad. In neither story did Jesus say that money was evil. He never said that money itself is bad, and nowhere else in the Bible does it say it's inherently bad. You know, people will say, well, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil, but that's not exactly what it says. The Bible in 1 Timothy says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, it can be dangerous, but God created money, and he created it to be a good thing. It's an opportunity for you to help other people, to meet a need for other people. It's, a, it's an opportunity to glorify God by sacrificing yourself to him and fighting a temptation of the world. It's an opportunity, in some ways, a test to see if you are faithful with what he has given you. And that leads me into my next point, and it's that money comes with choices. Both of the individuals were left with a decision on what to do with what they had. Jesus presented the question to one, and the other one found the opportunity. And a lie that I think we often believe is that my, the money in my account is my money. But reality is, is that's not true, because God owns every dollar in our account. If God created the world and all that is in it, then he created that money and allowed you to have it. Granted, did you work for that money? I mean, I would hope so. But, uh, but God created that job. Did God create, or did you develop those skills necessary to perform that job? Yes, but who created you in the first place and blessed you with your various talents and abilities? I mean, we could trace this all the way back and realize that God, the creator, owns everything. So you have the opportunity to be a steward of the money God gave you. So what's it look like to be faithful? Is it to give everything away? I mean, maybe, maybe not. In 2 Corinthians it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Only you know how much money God wants uh, you to give and what is being a good faithful steward looks like. It's an opportunity for you to grow your faith and your relationship with him and for you to, to buy into following Christ, not like you earned it, but to buy your heart into it. And a tithe, which is like 10% of your income, is a good place to start. But the verse says that what is on your heart to give? Is it half your income? There's no bound or cap to that verse. And there's also a choice on our integrity when it comes to our money. A friend of mine works in sales who's following Jesus, and he's told me many stories about situations that he gets put in. Gets put in. Um, I don't work in sales myself, but from what I've heard about the culture is it's very easy and sometimes even encouraged to lie, which puts them in a tricky situation because, um, well, it's very clear in the Bible it says you shall not lie. And so God does not lie, so we who follow him shouldn't either. But my friend does his best now to, 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 to do his job with honesty. Even though that means he likely loses out on a lot of sales, 
misses out on a likely higher, uh, significantly higher commission just by being honest. He has Proverbs 22.1 written next to his monitor, which says, a good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than gold or silver. And his thoughts are, hey, I'm following Jesus, and people in this office know it, and I want to reflect Christ um, as I go about my job and not be like everyone else, this culture of lying. He said to me, quote, as an ambassador for Christ, it is more important that I honor his name than that I earn a few extra bucks. And over time, it got tough for him, I mean, not taking the easy path. I mean, he said he often questioned himself, like, is this even worth it? But his coworkers eventually took notice. They know that he refuses to play the same game everyone else does. Um, but some even took notice and would even ask him to help them write, help them write their emails. Sorry. Some would ask him to help them write their emails. Uh, like I, the person's thinking, like, I could lie here, uh, but I want to have integrity like you. Because they know the way he says things is acceptable. And they have respect for the way he worked and wanted to be like him. You know, a few extra bucks or maybe even a lot of extra bucks wasn't worth the life that he had in following Christ. So when this brother is face to face with Jesus at the end of his life, I think the praise that Jesus will give him will be so much more than a couple extra thousand dollars that he had when he was 20-something. So my last point tonight is money does not last. Looking at what Jesus said to the rich man, he says, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus was offering something greater than what the rich man had. He says, you will have wealth in heaven. Jesus says this even more clearly in Matthew 6. I don't know if I have that written. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. When Jesus says, sell all you have, and then you will have treasure in heaven, what Jesus is really doing here is a favor. I mean, we hear stories of, you know, athletes who strike it big um, during their playing careers, but then they shortly blow it, all after, blow it all after their career and have to file for bankruptcy. They use their money for the short term and not for the long haul. I mean, who wants to have that story? We all know the smart thing is to save and invest your money and to live reasonably. But what Jesus is doing essentially here for this rich man is essentially being the wise financial planner for the rich man. He says, hey, don't try to keep it here while your life is like a mist that is here and then gone. Store up that treasure for yourself in heaven and for eternity, which is so much greater. I mean, I don't know specifically what this treasure is that Jesus states, but I have confidence that it's going to be so much greater than what we thought. And C.S. Lewis, a British writer, oh, that's up there. C.S. Lewis, he was a, a British writer. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, so you may have heard of him. He had an incredible mind. He wrote this, uh, has this quote that I thought was fascinating. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, at the sea. 
And guys, this is a picture of what this treasure in heaven is like. It's way more than anything we could come up with ourselves here on earth. I don't even know, I haven't been there myself, but I and so many others have gotten a taste of it. And other places in the Bible would corroborate what C.S. Lewis has to say. So to conclude tonight, I want to circle back to good old Joseph Millionaire. If we were going to put in, if we were put in the scenario of the female contestant, we probably all think, you know, the money doesn't matter. I'm going to say yes. But what if it's not uh, just a Joe? What if the guy has no money and the life ahead with this person has many challenges? Then you might have to reevaluate and think, well, how amazing is this person, right? Are they worth going through all this to be with? That was what both stories had to face. Would you say yes to Jesus above all? The rich man had Jesus right in front of him, and he walked away thinking Jesus wasn't enough. I mean, we're still talking about this guy to this day because he made the wrong decision. It's like we're seeing Joe Millionaire 2,000 years ago. And this guy's in front of an opportunity with a relationship with, with Jesus that will never fade. The man in the field clearly saw what he had in front of him, and his response was as such. So my question is, if you are in front of Jesus, where will your heart lie? So let's pray. Heavenly Lord God, um, God, I just thank you for your word, um, your teaching, God, that you offer eternal life through Christ. And this was a gift given to us, something that we could not earn. Um, God, many of us in here, uh, we're not seeking you, God, but you are seeking us. Um, and I just pray uh, that the, the stories that you have written, God, would impact us. God, I pray that our heart would be drawn to you and undivided. Um, God, I just pray that we would uh, embody the, the mentality of um, the guy in the parable of the story that you tell, God. And I just pray uh, that we would worship you above all. It's in your son's name. Amen.